Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, May 13th, 2017. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So, as you may hear from my voice, I have extraordinarily bad allergies, but the need was very great to do a Model Rail Radio recording today. My wife is away currently, so I don't actually have anyone to talk to to test my voice, so I thought this would be a good idea till I actually started recording. Not such a good idea anymore. Mike Slater, do you have audio? Mike Slater. I, I am just setting stuff up here. I may have to turn over to you to do co-hosting duties. I'd like to welcome on first-time caller, Dana Driscoll, please introduce your model railroading interests. I'm interested in, in most things, model railroading, and participate in three different scales. Uh, I live in Santa Barbara, and we're fortunate enough down here to have um, a wonderful guy, um, Gary Siegel, who has the LNN radio uh, uh, railroad in HO. He also has a 132nd scale, and I work in that. Then I have a garage layout of my own in N. So I guess that's three separate scales. Oh, excellent. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your N-scale layout? Okay. Um, the N-scale layout is something that I began many years ago and have progressively moved slower and slower, smaller and smaller uh, compressions on the Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad. This is, you know, people sometimes knew it as the Salt Lake route, but it was the LANSL. It was UP's way into Los Angeles. And I modeled the year 1920, which is obviously pure steam. And I'll put a caveat on that. One of my favorite uh, items on the railroad is a McKean car, which is uh, gas capable. And uh, so I've had to Scratch build a couple of McKeans, one for 132nd scale and one for N scale. But most of the time, um, what I do is I concentrate on just a little branch of the LANSL in Moapa, Nevada. Uh, and Moapa is, oh, a little ways up the way from Las Vegas. And Moapa has a branch that goes down to St. Thomas, or I'll say it went to St. Thomas, Nevada, before St. Thomas became a victim of the uh, Lake Mead when they put in Boulder Dam. I started with this LANSL passion, uh, as a lot of people do when they, they get enamored with a railroad, they want to do everything there is on the railroad. And I couldn't even get close to that, although I tried. I put moments along the way from Riverside, uh, packing uh, buildings all the way through up to Caliente, Nevada. Not to be confused with Caliente, California, which is more famous. I would put in various things along the way, and that become uns became unsatisfying because I, I really enjoy operating, and so there were these gigantic gaps. I made it a smaller railroad, and I got it progressively down to what I have today, which is, is simply um, just this one branch. And I've managed to make Moapa a, um, only a compression of about two to one. So I've got plenty of operational space in there for switching cars and things like that, which I like to do. But then it just trickles down this little branch, which, oh, and in uh, the era that I model, it was a 22-mile branch. But when they wiped out St. Thomas to, uh, they flooded St. Thomas to create Lake Mead, that made uh, Overton the end of the line. So anyway, it's, it's fun to do. I've visited it a couple of times. It's, uh, it's an interesting 
subdivision because it has a significant amount of agriculture. And it also had gypsum mines and ranches. And in the 1920s, that means that I can, I can use any sort of car. You know, all sorts of things go up and down. And, of course, on the main line, there's lots of passenger traffic, none of which really goes down the, the branch except for my McKean car. You said you also work on some other another gentleman's layout or railroad. Yeah, Gary Siegel. Uh, his L and N um, EK division was in Model Railroader long many years back, and Gary's uh, just a wonderful gentleman. And there's a, a number of us, both us locals in Santa Barbara and folks who travel up from Los Angeles and Orange County down from San Luis and various places. Uh, a lot of people who are operations. Uh, interested have uh, have known Gary or know Gary, and he's uh, he's just a very cordial person, very inviting. And we operate there most every first Saturday of the month, and it's a wonderful HO layout. Uh, can accommodate a lot of operators. And then, if that wasn't enough, he's uh, punched in a big uh, garden railroad in his backyard, and. Those of us who are a little bit more model-oriented uh, will concentrate on making uh, one to three, two scale models. And uh, you know, some folks will, will purchase them new-made, but the sorts of things I'm interested in, they don't sell new-made. So I have to build them up from scratch, which is fun. Excellent. So what kinds of stuff do you build from scratch? Well, the McKean cars were the big test. That uh, McKean's are... Well, they're a funny little beast. If you're not familiar with them, McKean was part of Union Pacific, and E.H. Um, e. Harriman tasked him with coming up with a an efficient car that would have a small crew that they could run out into um, into the prairies. There were still McKeans running around. They started making McKeans in, I think, 1905 or something, and they were running around up in the prairies and such of Nebraska and various places in the Midwest into the 1940s. But what was distinctive about them, and there's still one that exists uh, in Virginia City, I think, um, that it obviously doesn't operate for the, the railroad. But um, what's distinctive about the McKeans is they had this very nautical look. They have circular sort of porthole windows and they have a bow that sort of cuts in. They hadn't figured out airflow yet. And so they put the pointy end of the missile at the front, whereas if they, they had learned a little bit more, knew a little bit more in 1905, they would have turned it around. But the McKeans are, are interesting. They're worth looking up. And they're not incredibly difficult to build once you can figure out how to do the portholes. And you mentioned live steam as well. Is that a component of this layout? Uh, there's not live steam. Uh, there's uh, there's simply uh, steam on my railroad. Okay. It's, it, because of course it's 1920, so virtually so, everything is steam. But I like the I like the, having that little artifact there. And I did research it and determined there indeed was a McKean car. I found a photograph of it at the uh, UNLV has a special collections hmm, there and found found some. Uh, some pictures of it to confirm, yes, they had a motor car on the branch. They tried to use these motor cars in uh, urban settings, too. There were some that ran in San Diego, some that ran. This is, remember, when Harriman had both the UP and the SP together. So he sprinkled McKean's across his railroad, various places. And uh, 
they didn't turn out to be that practical. Electrification was much better for doing things in an urban setting, but you know, they hung around where it was hard to electrify uh, for quite a while. And they're fun cars. Interesting. Interesting. When you build these things, is it a long process? Does it take a lot of time? Or are you now at a stage where you can build them quite quickly? Well, I've only done one in one thirty second uh-huh. and one in N. So I'm not mass producing because uh-huh. they weren't mass produced. Certainly. Um, so the LANSL probably only had a couple of these on the entire railroad. And the... Um, the other one that I use at Gary's layout, that was the first one I cracked. So I tried one in one thirty-second scale first, and it it was it was fun to do. I learned some tricks from doing that, and it was fashioned out of various bits and pieces. You know, uh, everything from wood to plastic to uh, the. Let's see, I think I used copper copper washers to create the uh, the portholes, and they look pretty good in one thirty-second scale. Interesting. And when you get when you get down to the 160 scale for the end scale, you know, they're, they're tiny little moments on the side of the side of the car. Certainly, certainly. So, Dana, you've listened to Model Rail Radio for a while now. What kind of things are I we have. missing? What would you like to hear more from? Oh, okay. First of all, I don't think you're missing anything. I think you guys are doing a great job. Things I like more of, just from a personal standpoint, is um, I like operations. I enjoy operating wherever I go. And um, I also am, as you can tell from the fact that I've centered in on 1920, um, I'm interested in steam era, um, timetable, train order era. Um, and so I'm slowly but surely learning TT and TO, um, which I find to an extent challenging, but also fun. And so I don't know if any of the other folks who, who listen in are, are all that interested in such things as, as train orders, but uh, it's something I find fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big history buff. You can probably figure that out from now. Terrific. Terrific. So in terms of your area, the Santa Barbara area, there are some very interesting layouts in that area. And we don't oftentimes get callers from Santa Barbara specifically. Are there any other layouts in the area that you think if, if folks are traveling by, they should try to work out how they can sneak in? Well, getting in touch with Gary would be the, the first way to go about it. And we have a, a club in town, the South Coast Society of Model Engineers, mm-hmm. but uh, that's more of a round robin sort of affair. And really, if we had a club layout, it would be Gary's LNN. Okay. Um, because he's so cordial. The, um, there are a few people that have uh, backyard layouts in the Garden Railroad mm. uh, way. Um, small, small bits, you know, but, but um, perfectly viable and, and interesting. But if you roll through Santa Barbara, getting in touch and, and, uh, and seeing both Gary's indoor railroad, it's uh, effectively, I'd say it's the size of a three-plus car Mm-hmm. garage area for the LNN. The outdoors, he has a marvelous piece of property in the, the what we call the Santa Cruz subdivision, which mm-hmm. models uh, 1969, and that's mythical. There was no connection <laughs> straight across from Santa Cruz over to San Jose, but on our railroad, you can do that. And so we do that. And I also researched and found out that, yes, way back in the day at Boulder Creek, there was a McKean car. So even though we're invoking 1969, I go ahead and shove a McKean car in there because I'll put him in wherever I can. He won't let me have a McKean car on the L&N, though. That's just a little that's a bridge too far. 
And uh, the LNN is the year 1971. So he's kind of in that era. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And also very topical because I live in San Jose. So, yes. Aha. <laughs> very nice. Well, then you should, come to, you should come down and inspect and you can Definitely. give us the approval on. Definitely. And, yeah. My house is from 1912. So, uh -huh. in terms of historical San Jose, I both live amongst <laughs> it and live in it. So, yes. Wonderful. <laughs> my, another passion of mine, and this is more to do with my uh, my work, um, is I'm interested in silent film, mm. and it just so happens that the Los Angeles and Salt Lake Railroad had a company called the Signal Film Company that um, had a coordination with them, and the Signal Film Company produced railroad films. That's all they did. They had a star named Helen Holmes. And she would, you know, she was the daring young miss who would uh, save the railroad, you know, every every week she'd managed to save the railroad. And they had a, uh, a studio up in um, on the Pasadena branch of the LANSL and they convinced the railroad to give it a station. So there's a station called Signal mm -hmm. and they would put up flats, which represented the interior of the um um, the telegrapher's office, and they'd shoot the photographs through there with, you know, Helen Holmes banging away at the telegraph. And in the background, you could they could run by um, LANSL stuff. So high-tech special effects without any high-tech, unless you count railroads. It's amazing the links between the film industry and the railroad industry. I think certainly frequently noted that both people in film and people in railroads have contributed to both. Yeah, well, I was delighted to hear that uh, um, there's some folks at Pixar who mm -hmm. have railroads. Oh, yes. Yeah. Good. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I think, you know, Disney, I mean, there are a wide variety of legacy film folk. Even um, the Aliens guy, H.R. Giger, the German fellow who created the Aliens artwork, had a ride on huh? railroad through his house. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape the thing, right? So. <laughs> no, not at all. Anyway, Dana, it's wonderful to talk to you. I'm glad that we have you on finally, and you represent an area that is very interesting in the hobby in terms of uh, the Santa Barbara area. So please do call back in, and hopefully I won't oh, be so allergy-filled when I speak to you next time, <laughs> and we'll we'll have a wonderful chat. Thank you for calling in. Well, thank you. I'm going to put it on mute and just sort of listen along. Terrific. Thank you. Bye-bye. And Mike Slater, thank you for doing what you did. I think my voice is at least to a stage where I can talk reasonably now. I'd like to welcome back a bun, because bun, roughly a year ago, I know this because Facebook is sending me my yearly updates, but also because Simon has noted I was in your part of the world. In fact, next weekend, a year ago, I was meeting you all. I was experiencing what I guess we call Ken's layout, Ken's full-sized layout. And it was just such a wonderful experience. But I understand time moves on. What is going to happen with Ken's open house this year? Uh, pretty much the same as last year. Uh, we've got uh, a Saturday visit and we've got a sunday visit and the saturday visit is from one of the associations i can't remember mm. whether it's the narrow gauge association or the industrial railway association uh 
but they'll come down to, to see the line and, and we'll put on a full operating sequence of the day, which will involve emptying of skips, uh, operating the log line, uh, marshalling the freight yard and taking them for trips in the two passenger coaches we've got, the bogey coach, which stays at the top part of the line and the four-wheel coach, which goes down the zigzag for the line. Uh, last week, uh, the Breadgarn Worms Hill Railway, where we also volunteered, mm. dropped up one of their simplexes. Wonderful. So we'll have uh, two simplex diesels for the day, which is quite nice. Uh, and then on the Sunday, we have uh, volunteers from the Breadgarn Railway and from the Richmond Light Railway uh, coming to see us, which is uh, a little bit more relaxed. Uh, but it does mean that once we've emptied the skips on the Saturday, Saturday evening, we're filling them back up again to take back up the lines so we can do the same thing on the Sunday. Yes. In terms of your general model railroading, obviously, first Sunday in June is moving from strength to strength. When is that actually going to be available to the general public? When are the punters going to be able to see that? We would hope, if all goes well, sometime towards the back end of next year. Okay, interesting. Currently, we're just, as you may well have seen on the Facebook uh, page, coming to the sort of completion of the build, the main build of the baseboards themselves. Mm. So all, all the groundwork's done. Uh, in fact, I've been doing some more today and we'll be doing some more tomorrow. Uh, we're at the stage now of, of uh, gluing foam mm-hmm. uh, onto the boards. And uh, this Monday when we met, there was a lot of carving going on and sanding and there was just foam everywhere in the shed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, and I'm, I've just, from today, I just cut up uh, or machined the timbers for the two boards that are going to support the rotor yard. Uh, so that, that's the, the end of the main boards now. Uh, all the leg supports are done, all the track bed is in. And the next thing I've also got to do is cut all the sleepers for the track. Uh, Simon's had all the uh, chairs and, and clips and things already cast, and I've got a big mm-hmm. box of those in the workshop. And he's, the rail's arrived. Wonderful. So we've got a great big tube of the nickel-silver rail, so that's all ready to go. Uh, so I'd imagine within a couple of weeks we'd have finished the main sort of landscape support, mm-hmm. as it were, and we'll start adding the track and working up the scenery. Uh, Neil's working on the rotary yard, mm-hmm. and he's he's sent off and having CNC milled the gondola support brackets. Ooh, very nice. Uh, so he's we've gone for... I can't remember if he's gone for MDF or ply. It might be ply, actually. Okay. Uh, he's having some, tw- I think it's 12 mil ply. Mm-hmm. It, may be, it may be thicker, but he's going to laminate together. But it, it's CNC milled and also uh, spot milled for the drilling points or something. Mm. So we're going to see if they're going to work as gondola support. Simon's sorting out uh, a piece of, bra- uh, piece of steel rod, which will be the, the pivot mm-hmm. for the gondola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and effectively we're going to start putting together the prototype all the drawings have been done for the steel framework and ken will be getting the steel and starting to weld that up uh and i'm making the baseboards that it's going to drop into so mm. i would have thought by the end of the summer i'd like to think we've, we've got to work on a gondola practical question when you come mm-hmm. to cut ties for a layout yeah how do you calculate mm-hmm. how many ties to cut I would just, uh, we know roughly how many yards a track it is and how many to a yard. Okay. Uh, so it's, uh, I haven't actually done that count yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it's, uh, 
I've I've just recently had some new workshop equipment uh, arrive last week, so I've got a new thickness of planer. Mm. Uh, so which is going to be handy for bringing the uh, the pine, ripping that down to the the scale thickness, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll just lop it off to length on the bandsaw. Cool. And then all the ties will be uh, stuck down onto the plywood track bed, and we'll attack them with a wire brush and whatever to give them some texture, and we'll stain them and weather them. And Simon's built a jig for drilling for the uh, clips and plates for mm-hmm. the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can get all that laid and pinned pinned down. I think the points he's going to make uh, off-site and mm. then just bring those in and install those. But we've only got, I think it's only about four or five points on the layout. Certainly. That might be four. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a big job. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure he'll fly through that. Uh, but it's, it's, at last, it's coming together. After yes. a lot of thinking and planning and prototyping and testing, uh, it's... Uh, we're actually getting there, as it were. Certainly. So you choose pine as the sleeper material. Is that yep. standard? Do you usually use pine? Or I guess in the US, at least, there are many qualities of pine that one can buy. I think there are at least three qualities that you can get in hardware stores. I'm assuming you're using the best quality pine you can find. Uh, it's whatever's about. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just whatever pines in, in the uh, woodyard at the time. Interesting. Uh, as long as it's a fairly close grain and not full of knots mm. uh it, it, it should be fine and we're going to attack it with uh wire brushes and things anyway uh to get that texture because it's surprising uh when you look at the sleepers how grained they are oh yes uh, and, and with the weathering so that's something we sort of really want to replicate and uh so but as long as the timber's sort of fairly straight well we're, we're machining it straight and square anyway mm-hmm. uh so uh it, it should be all right hopefully fingers crossed Mm. Yes, maybe pine in the UK is just of a better quality than we get in the US. And certainly in Australia, I remember pine was always really knotty. Every piece of pine that I ever saw in, the, in Australia was very, very knotty. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, we, we do go through them at the woodshed. You do pull them out the racks and have a look first to sort of get the straightest bit you can. And, and, and there certainly are knotty bits, but you just put them back. Very good. And uh, try and get the best stuff quality control early on so in terms of the sleepers themselves i mean Mm -hmm. this is a somewhat whimsical layout what kind of precision are you looking at in sleeper size uh they're they're fairly accurately cut because Mm. uh the railway itself uses standard gauge sleepers which Ah, come at a set length and they're literally cut in half interesting so uh and then they're fairly accurate with all that but the one thing uh that is slightly Odd, and we didn't realise until we looked at it because the railway itself is very exacting on things, and we had naturally assumed that all the sleepers lined up nicely and straight mm. and, and and parallel on that. When in fact they don't, <laughs> so they're they're slightly not haphazard. That's that's mm-hmm. too strong a word for it. But but they're not all parallel with each other, Wonderful. and they're not all in line. So certainly. there's going to be an ele- element of that that we will certainly be introducing and thinking about it. We replace the sleepers ourselves, and, and, and we're not exactly exactly <laughs> accurate. You know, it, it's all done by eye, and, and if it's a bit tougher to move the sleeper another three inches to the left, you just leave it. Yes, <laughs> and I mean, I think these uh, these kind of accuracies are really important. And certainly, looking at your prior work, it's this kind of I don't know artistic eye which distinguishes your layouts from other layouts. So, no, I'm really looking forward to seeing these little inconsistencies. And as you say, you are the 
you are the workers, basically, that put them in slightly inaccurately on the full-size prototype. So you have a wonderful uh, view into building the model specifically. So you've got about a year and a half, basically, that you're working towards currently. And yes. you've got the foam in the cutting stage. The structures are being... I've, I've got a kind of vision of what the layout looks like. There aren't that many structures on the layout itself, right? There's only three. Yeah. There's the... Uh Station building, which building really is a little bit too strong a word for it, is basically a, a shelter with, with an open front and, and just some sides in the back. Mm. There's the signal box, which I think is only about eight foot square. And then there's a good shed, mm -hmm. which again is uh, effectively uh, a box with the front wall and the back wall missing and a, a sloping roof. Oh, yes. And, and that's it. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to be that taxed with buildings but we are looking at the shape of the wood and the planking and the detail mm. with these buildings because so, they're it, it's important to get those absolutely spot on uh neil's intending to make the signal and point levers in the signal box actually move mm. uh, so he's he's worked out how to do that and how to integrate that uh, with the points themselves moving and we intend the signal box the back wall of it to be made from perspex mm -hmm. so you can Wonderful. actually see inside the signal box because unfortunately from the viewing aspect of the layout you're actually looking at the back of the signal box yes uh so you, you would miss all that was going on inside so we decided to make a perspex rear wall for that so it, it, it can be seen so we, yeah we're just trying to think of all sorts of bits and pieces uh that should i don't hopefully make it a little, little bit different and uh, just trying to push ourselves, really. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think the carousel alone is going to be really a crowd pleaser in terms of things that people don't normally see at these kind of shows. So, yeah, you're really, uh, you're riffing off what is already a, a crew that has had a long-standing show show experience in terms of, you know, these kind of layouts and the way that they're shown to, to folks. I'm sorry, Martin, I'm not... Uh, an, full form today so in terms of other things in the hobby are there other things that you're looking at currently uh, let's talk about yeah, we... simon's layout actually because that seems to be also unfolding on on facebook or at least in terms of the, the underlying elements have you been to simon's house recently i've not been there to see it although i will be there uh, in a couple of weeks time on, on another aspect but i suspect he'll show us the layout mm. he i think really he's trying to now compete with andy dixon uh -huh. on the world the world of wood very good uh, he's not <laughs> doing very well board. though he's not doing very well he needs to have a a three you know a three layer layout in order to even try to compete with andy dixon yeah I must anyway he's on, he's on the two layers two uh, layers and ah. he, he's he's cracking through the boards mm -hmm. and uh he's devised his own dowel alignment system which seems to work very well he had a package arrive from Fast Tracks the other day. Oh, yes, I saw that, uh, certainly. Yeah. And uh, he, he bought those around the other night, and uh, very impressive, those uh, track, those point jigs. Uh, so he's, he's looking forward to, to getting on with that, and he bought all the, the filing jigs and the crossing V jigs uh, and stuff like that. So he's, he's got, and I think, a number of ties and bits and pieces. I know locally he's bought the rail, Yes, and he's got that. Uh, but I think he's he wants to keep going with the baseboards at the moment before getting distracted by the track. Interesting. He, he also he, he seems to be acquiring more stock every yes. every week 
another few wagons seem to arrive. <laughs> yes. But uh, I think he's on his limit of locos now that he wants for the line, uh, except he might want a, f- a couple more sort of UK-looking type of locos. Mm. Uh, he's I, I, he's done a lot of development and experimental work on the control side of the layout, and he's looking into, uh, I think Neil's been given some advice as well, on track detection. Mm. Uh, and the signalling and all sorts of bits and pieces. And, and I think he's, I'm sure he said he's got wireless throttles now. Gosh. He, 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 he prefers that because if you're walking around his workshop with tethered throttles, it, we might all get tangled up <laughs> with throttles. Because his intention is that you drive the train through the layout yes, rather than operate a, a, a section. You, you, you actually follow it all the way through. Yes. So we're quite looking forward to having some operating sessions uh, with him on that. It's a pity you can't be on today because I know he's got a bit – he's been feeling a bit under the weather. Yes, and like no, you, you mentioned this, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his, his throat's gone, and so uh, I'm, I'm, I'll fill in for him. <laughs> yeah, no, there are going to be more recording sessions at this time, so I'll look forward to having a chat with him when he's available. Martin, thank you for providing a wonderful update. It seems – Kind of bittersweet that it was a year ago that I was in your part of the world because I'm looking forward to getting back. Certainly my wife and I are, uh, are planning another trip at some stage. So, no, it would be really wonderful to catch up. And, look, now you've set the uh, the boundary associated with the, the, the layout that you're working on currently, the carousel layout, I'm looking forward to actually potentially, I mean, going to a rail show and seeing that sometime in the future sets a good time frame. I'm going to be on the East Coast, the East Coast of the US, next year, but they, I, don't, I still don't have a show date associated with when I'm going to be there. And that's going to be a phenomenal opportunity to meet a wide variety of model rail radio folk. But, you know, the UK, in particular, your part of the UK, I have such fond memories of that uh, I need to get back in a, in a near-term kind of way. And pass on my regards to Ken and the crew next weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing the... Facebook photo update from you all, and uh, yeah, good chatting. Yeah, and uh, well, mustn't forget. Thanks very much for the shirt, Tom. Oh, not at all, not at all. It was wonderful yeah. seeing the photograph as well. It's always good. I mean, yeah. sending shirts is one thing; seeing them worn and appreciated and respected as well is uh, is another thing. So, thank you. Excellent. You're welcome. Thank you. I'd like to welcome back on Malcolm Johnson. Malcolm, your layout, I don't know, it, for a period of time I thought there might have been Transformers on the layout, but your layout seems to change and, I don't know, you're always doing new stuff and every time I see photos uh, they look like different scenes. What's going on with your layout currently? Well, I was uh, going back and forth on whether or not I was actually going to change the layout structure overall. Mm. Uh, that's the most recent thing and I basically said no <laughs> i just done too much work on it um to want to restart right now uh i was gonna do a situation where i basically tore up all the track and took everything off and started all new uh really looking at all the different things i wanted to have you know in the layout space and it all stemmed from just not being super satisfied with my um i basically have like three sections i have a tram loop a high-speed rail loop and a point-to-point uh, kind of freight 
situation. And the point to point freight was frustrating because, you know, in, you know, I model Japan and a lot of the Japanese freight and kind of tanker stuff uh, is really interesting to me. But in the space that I have allotted for it, it doesn't make any sense because literally it's just, you know, zip, zip, you know, and you're yes. done back and forth. And it was a little frustrating. And so the idea was to kind of start start over and see if I can incorporate three separate kind of loops or even just have, you know, one um, high speed and freight kind of combined loop situation. And it just can, can I illustrate this problem for you? Because I think what fascinates me about your layout is that you started as a modeler, not a model railroader. You started as someone who was really interested in building these amazing models on the trains. I don't want to necessarily, you know, right. talk negatively, <laughs> but they were just incidental. And the mm -hmm. more that you've built, the more that you've become a model railroader in terms of actually liking the trains as well. I mean, functionally. So For sure. I, I see this evolution in your layout and I would recommend actually, because you have, you have a number of module scenes that you've cut up and moved around a few times. If you need mm -hmm. to start afresh, rip everything up, actually lay down track and actually have a model railroad to start off with and then layer the scenes back in. I mean, that seems to be a natural evolution of your layout, having seen it over, I don't know, a three, four-year period as it has evolved as it is currently. Because, I mean, certainly you had a stage where you were kind of doing that and you're talking maybe about some subterranean layout components to it as well. So right. I guess I've seen, I've seen the evolution of this and I would actually recommend breaking it up again actually laying some track and working out the, the railroad part of it and then relayering back on the many multiplicity of, you know, scenes and elements that I think we all enjoy with your layout. That's my perspective. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because, you know, I don't really spend a lot of time with the trains themselves mm. and they provide a lot of frustration. I do like them when I do run them, but I was thinking about it the other day and this is kind of what what stopped that whole process from, from going forward was, you know, the amount of time I'm actually running the trains. It's usually if, you know, the kids want to see them go around, I'll run them. Or if I, you know, do manage to get the track clean and then, you know, run them just to say, Oh, look, I, you know, the track is clean. They're running well right now, but it's not the natural inclination. What I do mostly is these scenes and that's, that's still my major focus, but yeah, it is. It's just this nagging thing that keeps coming up and it, it wouldn't be that difficult, I guess, you know, overall to, to kind of take things apart. It's just that I've done so much work and I, I have these things that, you know, these, you know, precious little areas that I like and it would have to basically go if it's, I were to do this process. I mean, what you've done previously is, I mean, many of the areas that I thought were, you know, signature elements of your layout, you've pulled down and rearranged and broken up and added new stuff. I mean, this notion of like precious areas is very interesting with your layout because I mean, I, I think just of the, the seaside part of it, let's call it that the boating mm -hmm. out of, I don't know, aquatic, aquamarine, whatever one would call it. That area has changed probably five or six times since I've seen the layout initially. I mean, it's moved in a variety of different directions. My favorite kind of whale on the horizon has moved around the various elements <laughs> of that whole thing have changed dramatically. And my view is actually you've been able to maintain precious elements of your layout by changing them. And actually I think that's one of the strengths that your layout has is that you're such a good modeler that you know how to break up scenes and rearrange them. And I, 
I can never really understand when I said your layout's like a transformer. It really is that there are bits <laughs> that just like, you know, turn on their heads and things like this. So, I mean, my view actually is that if anyone could do it, you can pull it off and have done so quite successfully many times previously. What interests me actually is the discipline of designing the layout part of your layout, like designing something that ticks off with Givens and others what you want in... And as you say, you have very particular operating interests and you're not operating all the time. You're operating occasionally. I mean, you operate when people come over too, which is another thing right. that would be really nice. And this is actually, if I can give a shout out to uh, Jamie Fenton, that's exactly what Jamie Fenton is doing across the bay from you, is mm -hmm. they have optimized their layout for... It's a, a bit more track than yours, but not a huge amount more track. And just this notion that they have JMRI operating, you can come over with your, you know, mobile device and anyone can link in. I mean, I think that's very cool. This would be an opportunity. And I know Jamie, you know, Jamie's got a new startup she's working with, but certainly I don't think there would be any objection to you swinging around. You know, you, you have to pay the toll. That's the only thing of crossing the, the bay. <laughs> but aside from that element, I actually think that you two should get together just because I think on Jamie's side, that part she's solved. And on your right. side, you've got all these other elements. And I mean, their, their structures and the stuff that they've done is good, but you take it to a completely different level and you're both end scalers. So I right. think there's some shared information if you cross the bay, uh, or maybe if Jamie went over and saw you that, you know, this kind of knowledge is, is, you know, there, there's a kind of gestalt there, but no, I, I think, irrespective of what I say, I think this thing's going to happen anyway, just because of the way you, you work with your layout. But I'm actually really looking forward to, because I think a number of the scenes, like there's a narrative element associated with the layout. Like if people plan their layouts, there's actually a story that goes past it. And your existing layout is so narrative heavy that I think the narrative that comes through you actually laying track and practically working out, you know, and I might be wrong in this, but my understanding is that, Japanese rail is used for both commuter and industry outside of major cities, right? So you have enough scenes that are outside a major city that you could use mixed-used rail and still be prototypical, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I was looking at. And, you know, the other limitation I have is this: I'm not very uh, interested in the, the whole ele electrical side of things. Certainly, but and you've got so enough smarts I've let to that do it. Yeah, you've got enough smarts. Yeah, I, I definitely could. Yeah. yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think if I put a little more time and effort into that side of things, I could actually work it out. And um, I think, I mean, certainly someone like Jamie would be perfect to explain to you very easily. I mean, the, the seamless nature of what Jamie has done on her layout indicates very strongly that actually I don't think it needs to be something that's technically very challenging. And, right. you know, so... Again, maybe the knowledge exists externally, but I just in terms of the thought process of you actually taking track and, you know, working it in and creating a narrative which your city then picks up, I'm really looking forward to seeing. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's been very inspirational about this. It's uh, Carolyn Pacific, right, on Jamie's? Certainly, yeah. 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 Uh, I really like seeing the process, and, you know, I asked if they could take, you know, photos kind of, kind of in the scenes a little bit more like down closer to the track. Cause a lot of them were really far away 
and they were very accommodating and, and it was really cool to see. And then I've been making an effort to like schedule some time where I could actually get over there where it's not something mm-hmm. going on the weekend. Oh yeah. That's a little, uh, Little task. I, I think it's going to have uh, to be Model Rail Radio 150. I think that's probably going to be the time that <laughs> we'll force everyone again to get together, you know. <laughs> get out of their bunkers and move exactly. around. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's actually quite ridiculous how close together. I I can't remember. I was in your part of the world very briefly, but again, I was doing touristy stuff with people in town. I thought, this is so sad that, you know, once in nine months i get up to to malcolm's part of the world and i can't actually go and see him because i'm doing other stuff but yeah we've got we've got to organize this thing slightly better and i think the thing with jamie Slout in particular is that yeah there's so much potential crossover associated with the stuff that you're both doing one of the beautiful things about what jamie and jennifer are doing is that they're building continuously on their existing skill set i mean i i look at you as a model uh in terms of a level of detail and things like that, which I just see, I don't know when, let's talk about this actually, Malcolm. When did you start building models to the level of precision that you were doing currently on your layout? I mean, this is obviously a progression that has taken many years. What What are the origins of your model making? Well, uh, you know, as a kid, I used to, you know, I, I grew up in the, the heyday of being able to actually get, you know, these cool Japanese robot models and stuff at my local mm. drugstore. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were being imported like crazy because they just didn't have room in Japan. And Nathan was like, hey, we can just sell these to the United States and get rid of Make them. Money. Yeah. We need the space. And they're large so as started, well. So, yeah, they travel oh, very yeah. easily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very easy. And so I, I did a lot of that. And, you know, as time progressed, I kind of got back into that as an adult. Did a lot of, you know, Gundam modeling and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But uh, I never really, you know, it was always like a side note. It was like just something to get me off the computer, get me using my hands. And when I discovered that this, you know, Kato Unitrack fit perfectly on these two dressers that I had, and I got back into doing the, you know, the train aspect of things, I got very excited because, you know, I really am a, a Japanophile for whatever reason. I'm still not really 100% sure. Yeah. But I loved all the, you know, the buildings and, and, you know, things like that. And I started out just getting the out of the box Kato, um, uh, Dio town buildings and, and the like, and just plopping them on or Tomy tech, you kind of put them together, but they're already painted and already weathered and detailed. And I started getting into doing more of the, the other side of things where you actually have to put things together, which is more of like the, um, the green max kits, uh, plastic model kits, and then branched out into doing the Senke kits, which, at first, I hated <laughs> their, you know, the paper, the cardstock kits. Uh, they required a lot of patience and a lot of time to kind of go into them. And when I first started out, I, I didn't want to do any of that. But as things progressed and I started doing things like adding interiors to the Kato kits uh, and things like that, the Senke kits became more appealing because they required a little more time. And, you know, you're, you're paying a decent amount of money for these things. You might as well have fun building them and i think that's where it kind of you know grew it's like doing the interior of these kato kits and these very kind of uh sensitive cardstock kits really made me slow down and you know pay more attention to what i was doing and that's where i think i took a big leap where instead of just you know pulling things out of boxes slapping them together and dumping them on the layout 
I've been doing a thing where I, I really try to take more time with uh, exactly what I'm doing and, and what I'm presenting on the layout. There's an element of quality time, which I think you exemplify in your modeling, that when you actually have time to work on your layout, it's quality time. So it needs to, ha- it can't be rushed, right? It's like something that you enjoy exactly. and focus. So, yeah. Right. And my wife, you know, bless her, she, she knows that it's very important and she knows that I'm way more, uh, relaxed and, and, and present when I've had time to actually just, chill out with my layout and or mm. do a building or a project. And so she, you know, I said, Oh, you know, Tom's doing a show today. I, I'd like to carve out some time for that. And she, no hesitation at all. It's like, I think you should totally do that. Go, yes. you know, is he doing it right now? Go do it right now. <laughs> um, Your wife is actually, I, I meet model rail radio spouses on a semi-regular basis. Some of them are amazing. Your wife mm-hmm. presents wine, cheese, platters <laughs> these kind of things i've never had this experience doing this podcast ever so shout outs to your she, wife as well malcolm <laughs> she wanted to do more and she just didn't want to step on my toes and it's like oh, oh no goodness. you never have to worry about that it was amazing yeah, really- actually yeah no i i uh, yeah shout outs to your wife Malcolm. thank you nice thank you so in terms uh, of in terms of you've, you've you've outlined what your strategy might be in yeah. terms of broader visions associated with this thing have you bought any new structures have you bought anything new and interesting that you're looking to place on your layout in the near future well that was a funny thing i i've been doing a thing where i you know when i first started out i was buying stuff like crazy to the point Mm. where i actually had to take things to my office because i didn't have enough room uh we covered that uh i was able to put everything on the layout when we moved to this new place here in oakland and uh that was fantastic because it's like, oh, the, you know, the band's together, basically. Yes. Um, and that was fantastic. And so what I've done is I've, I've really kind of scaled back on the building side of things. Um, just due to the fact that I'm running out of space <laughs> for them. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of planning things out. Now I'll look and I'll say, oh, well, this kind of makes sense to have a building here. And I'll either get another Senke kit or another building to, to detail out to, for that specific space. And that's been working out pretty well. Um, as far as the, you know, the purchases I've been making for my layout recently have been more vehicles and people. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually doing things now where I'm focusing those efforts. I have kind of, uh, B team people that go inside buildings and things that I've gotten from, uh, there's a company in China that makes these figures mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're painted, but they're, you know, very kind of sloppy, you know, kind of high volume. You know, you, I think you get a uh, hundred figures for twelve dollars or something like that, and then I go back in and kind of just tidy them up a little bit. And those are for kind of the back of the layout and inside buildings and and things you know where you don't really see them. And I have my hero people where I you know spend a little more time and and money on them for uh, things that are going to be up front where they'll be closer to the eye, and that's been working out really well. And I don't even have to do, you know, do too much detailing on the, the cheaper figures when they're inside a building because the only people that really notice it is me. I notice them too. So, I enjoy your inside <laughs> people, the inside building people. That was I fantastic. That visit, the, the first visit that you, you made here, uh, was with, um, Terry and, and oh, Jim yeah. Lincoln. Yes. And just to see you in there and you're like really focused in there and looking around buildings and things. That was when, great. When you first called in, we, t- we spent the first your first call actually talking about the need for people inside buildings and these kind of things. I think I must have seen 
I must have seen some photos of your lad or something like that, but I remember having a long discussion with you associated with placing people inside buildings. In particular, yes. I guess I've, I've been an office working schlub most of my professional life. So <laughs> I like to have representations of other office working schlubs. Right. <laughs> and I have fun with it. I have people like there's, you know, one building where like there's people sitting on desks having conversations because, mm. you know, that's the kind of thing that I did working in in the uh, advertising kind of marketing side of things. That's the kind of stuff we used to do. Certainly. And it just looks better. Like a lot of these, you know, especially like the Cotto offerings, they have these big, huge windows in the front. And when you don't have anything in there, you can see inside the building. It's like, you know, there's nothing in there. <laughs> this looks weird. It looks very vacant. So I like kind of just putting things in there, even if it's just, you know, I've done stuff where I've taken um, the scraps from my Senke kits and kind of built crude walls and crude tables and, and the like. Oh, yeah. You don't really see that much detail, but if you, it looks like there's something in there and it looks like something's going off. And I really, that's a pet peeve of mine when, when I have a building that's, I have a whole list of buildings that I still have to go in and do that, that detailing with. Yes. And that was the other side of the, you know, possibly changing up the layout is, you know, really spending time thinking through, you know, the electrical side of things so I can get some of these buildings wired up with lights and the like oh, yeah. as well. Well, that's the importance so. of narrative. I mean, this is all about narrative, basically, that you're adding a narrative to each individual structure. Let's talk a little bit about the internal lighting. You haven't done this historically, but this is something that you want to add? Is this what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's always been the thing. Uh, you know, they sell these little kits. I believe it's Tommy Tech that sells these little battery-operated light kits. Um, and that worked well for my little uh, Soyakaze River shelf that I built. I just drilled through the shelf and had these lights come up through the buildings. And it was really nice having those lit buildings. And there's a guy, uh, is it Quintopia, who is a, you know, a master at, at lighting. Um, he recently tore his whole layout down or restarted, but, mm. uh, a huge fan of his, uh, just seeing these, the cityscape. It's just, it looks like a city when, you know, the lights were off, the buildings were glowing and the streets were all lit up and it was fantastic. And that's always been a, a thing that I wanted to do, but, uh, my brief foray into <laughs> trying to learn about wiring and, uh, you know, electronics is just not where my brain is at all. I'm, I'm far more on the creative side and I just could not wrap my brain around the whole, the whole side of it. <laughs> it's just like, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, so that's something that down the line, I definitely want to learn more about. But again, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm also doing a thing where I'm trying to focus when I do have hobby time, focus on the things that that I really enjoy and that don't cause more frustration and, and, and anger. <laughs> and the, the wiring side of things was really not enjoyable for me at all. Mm. And so I made that, that kind of sacrifice where, you know, I was trying to learn more about it and, and I just wasn't having any fun. And it's just like, well, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be my re relaxation time. And I, I get enough, you know, challenges through work where I don't need more in my, you know, quote unquote relaxation time. Certainly, certainly. Malcolm, it's a pleasure chatting as always. Fantastic. Thank you very much for calling you. in. Thank you, and I hope you, you feel better. Yes, so do I. So do I. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, Tom. Thanks again. I'd like to welcome back on Morgan Pavia. Morgan your layout, or at least your vision of a layout, has been one that has interested me, particularly because I have a certain reverence for the desert as a theme. In terms of your model railroading, what has been happening with your layout recently, or your plans, at least? 
Uh, lots of starts and stops recently. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with uh, our club voted to mothball our uh, portable layout, which and then build a uh, permanent layout in the spot that it's been occupying. So kind of there was a lot of projects I was going to do for models to run at shows, and I'm not sure that we're going to be taking it to shows at this point. So that remains to be seen. But uh, on my personal layout, I've been doing a lot more research and digging deep into archives and blogging a lot more than I had the last time we talked. I think that was in October. I have gone through every box of photos in the archive in Yuma, including the ones that aren't railroad related. <laughs> so Interesting. No, Interesting. No easy task. And I found a lot of train photos in areas that weren't labeled trains. Hmm. <laughs> fancy that. Yeah. So... A lot in the background that, oh, look at that. There's that picture of that ice deck I've been looking for, something like along those lines. It's interesting, actually, the role. I mean, do you feel that you're developing a kind of archivist role associated with this? I mean, you seem to be adding a lot more formality than what existed previously. Is that what you're seeing? Not so much. Basically, because I didn't grow up in this area, I was trying to learn as much as I could as fast as I could. Mm. And now I'm compiling everything I've found. And the, the track plan is moving ahead. I finished the phase one plan, which was actually the Yuma switching layout with the branch line. And it turned out to be the size of a respectable regular layout. Hmm. <laughs> so I might have to scale it down a little bit to fit everything I want to do in, which currently the I fell into the trap of the no no set space so the sky's the limit and i had to step back and set parameters for myself as to how big i can let this thing get so i mean i'm not going to get the boeing 747 assembly building for my layout at all so alas a bridge too far yeah but i i have mandatory retirement at 57 i'm 37 now so in 20 years i have to retire i'm eligible to retire in about 12 and a half hmm. so I mean, I've got the time to build a big layout coming up. Certainly. It's just a matter of making sure all my ducks are in a row before uh, before that time comes. Yes, it's interesting, actually. I listened to a podcast that's based on your work. And, um, yeah, it's an interesting – the whole nature of what you do for a living I find really fascinating. And it's an interesting profession in terms of the way people, as you say, allocate their lives for a, an early retirement based on – you know, lots of hard work. So, yeah. well, it's a short retirement for most people if they don't have a hobby. So, yes, yes, certainly. certainly. So, I mean, look, trying to, trying to, I'd say it's the, my way to ensure I can keep annoying my wife into her 90s. So. Very important. Yeah. No, look, as, as Malcolm points I'm sorry, out, is my kid coming through in the background? Not at all. Perfectly. All right. Perfectly. As Malcolm notes, the practical nature of a hobby in terms of keeping a strong marriage and a, a good degree of mental health is well noted. In terms of what you're doing in in research for, for planning your layout, I think we, we had a chat associated with the steelworks and various other things that you, had, you had, were planning. Have you got um, a track associated with that, or what's going on with that? No, there was the uh, there was an iron, an iron the yes. Kaiser Steel Railroad, yes. the interchanged, and... Yeah, that's one of the biggest problems I've come up with is when I started this is like, well, I'll model Yuma fairly faithfully because people want switching. I, I'm not really a big fan of switching myself, but people want that. And I'll figure out how to get a decent mainline run in. Well, after I went to the uh, Southern Pacific Convention, which is where I called you from the last time, oh, yeah. 
I realized just how much I liked mountain railroading. It's what I grew up watching up in northwest Washington. Beaumont Hill, which is the western portion of this line coming out of Los Angeles, helpers both directions, the ore train. I mean, it's everything that I would want. And so now it's kind of I'm looking at this giant Yuma area that's as big as the rest or bigger than the bigger than the mainline portion in how the footprint and going, ah, I should maybe redraw this to fit my my wants and needs and not, well, I should plan this for other people to be, have fun too. So I'm kind of at a crossroads there where I should have started at the West End staging and worked east instead of – I effectively started in the middle of what I wanted to do and started working one direction. So uh, The nature of this hobby is making mistakes. I mean, I think that's <laughs> one of the beautiful things about model railroading is that everyone you talk to – Never gets it right the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. No, so, no I think it, what you say is the hobby, right? That's the yeah. hobby. <laughs> I mean, I've got a stack of 11 by 17 graph paper off to my right right now that's got various portions of this monstrosity. <laughs> I call it the million-dollar layout because yeah. it's going to cost that much probably to build it. And But at least I'm, I'm learning what I want and what's important to me by drawing all this out, and then I – I mean, I've already shrunk the Yuma area a couple times just by looking at it going, I don't need that. I don't need mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. So I figure if I can get this done, then maybe I can shrink stuff and all that. The problem is that running 20 to 25 car trains, you need long sightings. Certainly. But, so, I mean, as as a hobby, you have the choice not necessarily – I mean, you could make them representative. The difference between 25 and 10 cars is – you know, 15 cars visually, but in terms yeah. of like model railroading, a layout where you're running 10 cars is still a pretty big truck, right? That's true, but 10 cars looks a little goofy with five locomotives up front. That's true. But <laughs> still, five locomotives up front for 25 cars is pretty, I mean, yeah, that, that's true as well. Yes. Uh, the ore train, the ore train, I figured because the cars are so short, I could actually model that half size. Yes. And, since they're 26-foot cars and my standard car length is 50-footers, that I could probably model the 100-car train with 50 cars. Certainly. And it would still be decent length and still be, put put the swing helpers 20 cars back instead of 40 cars back and the, ta the tail end helpers in front of the caboose like they would be. And people would still think it's a huge train. So it's, it's one of those things with design. You, you have to get it down and look at it and go, oh, that is way too big and start over. <laughs> Yes, yes. Very interesting, Morgan. Very interesting. So in terms of your club, now they're moving to a fixed layout. This really changes a, a lot of the dynamics. Do they have a they have a permanent space for this fixed layout, I'm assuming? Uh, Semi-permanent. Okay. Um, it's in an old, an old shop space at one of the local middle schools. Okay. So, I mean, it's as far as I know, it's permanent, but we all know how spaces clubs don't own go. That's very interesting. That's one of the more curious spaces I've heard associated with a club loud. Interesting. An yeah. area in a, it's a local middle school. Interesting. Yeah, they, they have a they have an N-scale layout in there that they were just getting online a couple months ago. It's up and running, and they've shared it on the NMRA page a couple times. But, I mean, we just had a – it was a haphazard modular layout, typical club modular layout, you know, no rhyme or reason to anything. You have Talkeetna, Alaska next to Tombstone, Arizona. So Definitely. They go together, I mean, right? It was whatever they, 
whatever the whatever whatever anyone wanted to do. But some of the guy yeah. some of the guys in the club are really really good modelers, and other guys just like to run trains in circles. So we'll see what happens with this permanent layout because I've heard heard other people bemoan that with permanent layout comes an increase in club drama, and so far this club's been drama free. So. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting actually following clubs. I mean, I'm normally a member of a local club. And I think what's interesting watching that club is not necessarily the politics, but how the roles of various people are well defined in, in, mm-hmm. in the club. And I think once a club gets to a certain size, there's also the influence of a new guy can never be great based on the size of the club, right? So there's yeah. always like a buffering zone associated with some of that stuff too. Well, and right now we are we're having the push from the prototype guys to the roundy roundy guys, so it's kind of an interesting take. So we'll see what happens. But we're also trying to push the the guys who are into operations, myself included, are trying to push hand laid switches using fast tracks. Mm. And if that goes through, I have I guess my share of what they told us would be on the layout already is already fifteen number sixes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you'll uh, you'll have a job for life if you get that in, I'm sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> Morgan, it sounds like you've got more pressing things going on. I don't want to take you away it's from your family. It's the YouTube video without video. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. I'll talk to you soon, Morgan. Thank you very much for calling right. in today. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Bye. like to welcome back on Dave Barraza. Dave, seems like a ridiculous length of time since you were last in my part of the world. What's been going on with your model railroading hobby? I have on my workbench all my LCC gadgets and a servo Ooh. driver and JMRI, and um, I have a job for them to do, so I'm working out how everything can talk to each other, and um, and I am finding that the, the, the difference between every other product for signaling that I've ever used and LCC is that LCC is... Everything's a pulse. Everything's momentary. Everything's an mm-hmm. event. Oh, yeah. As opposed to most signaling logic, which is like a, a basically a state machine. Mm. So, and so, and it still has to behave this way, like, you know, X, Y, and Z are all true, so we're going to do A and B. Um, the trick is to make these momentary events stick around, so to speak, so that you can... Uh, have signals that stay green rather than just decide they're going to be green for half a second and, and then do something else. Certainly. So I'm, I'm enjoying myself. It's uh, it's exactly the kind of activity that Malcolm was was uh, lamenting a couple minutes back, where there there is a little bit of figuring out and head bashing that happens, and uh, but um, uh, ultimately, when once the gizmos all work together, it's I find it very satisfying. But some of us are drawn to these aspects of the hobby, and you're clearly one of these people. So, yes, very good. I'm a figure-outer, yeah. Very good. So, interesting. So, in terms of your local area, have there been, I mean, you know, summer is definitely coming. In terms of your local area, are there anything, you know, anything coming up that interests you? Are you, are you doing any garden layout tours or anything like that in, in the summer months? Well, uh... About a month ago, there was Island Ops, which Ooh. is an ops event out on Long Island. And there's a gentleman a little bit west of me who had his – built a, a garden layout for ops and mm-hmm. featured it in Island Ops for the last two years. 
And when they sent out the invitation this year, it had new information, and it said, bring an accurate timepiece, and please download, the, please download the timetable. Ooh. And I'm thinking, I remember this layout was basically across his yard and back again, and it's mm-hmm. a loop. So I'm not sure why I need a watch. But when I started coming down his driveway, I realized that he's added about 2,500 feet of G-scale track. Oh, my goodness. On, and, it, and it climbs a total of 40 real feet wow. from the barn at the bottom to the old layout at the top. Wow. So helpers are required. Uh, G-scale battery-powered locomotives actually burn out and fail in the rain. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of very real-world railroad-z problems on this guy's G-scale pike now. Mm. And uh, it's great for timetable and train train order because when you're at, you know, uh, uh, Twin Loops siding, you can't see the next siding. Oh, yeah. It's behind a tree. They're actually they were using radios, although he's planning on putting in a, a telephone system, so that uh, if the if if the dispatcher calls a location and nobody picks up, the train order signal will go to the restrictive state, and you'll know that you need to call and get mm. orders. Wow! So that's that's going to be a monster. It was already fun to operate on a timetable as it was, um, but uh, once it gets going full force, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The gentleman was uh, Steve Gittleman, and I think he's going to write it up in Garden Railways magazine. Yeah, it sounds like it needs a write-up. I mean, that, that uh, what was the length of time between when you last saw the layout and then you came to it and realized that he'd added 2,500 feet? What was the it time was two, It was two years, but uh, the way he explained it was he worked all winter to build these uh, loops and and just laying. You know, he basically builds, uh, puts posts in the ground, and then uh, puts uh, the basically a series of long bridges or, around hip to knee level to get the track up and down the hill. Oh um, there's three loops, like to hatch style train over itself loops, uh-huh. and they're uh, twelve or fourteen foot radius loops. Wow! So uh, and it's it's three percent grade from the barn all the way oh, up to the top of the hill. So it, it was it was a fun. Uh, I, I've operated on it twice, and uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. That is amazing. So through the it's winter, five minutes. Gosh, well, he, he's just, he's a go getter, and uh, he's got uh, he's, uh, he's you know he's got acreage, and so he has he also enjoys antique uh, power equipment. So he's got a couple of uh, bobcats and other paraphernalia that you need to do undertake a project of that size. Yeah. So. Uh, it's one a couple large steps away from building a real railroad, but a couple large steps away from building a model railroad down in the basement as well. Interesting. Two and a half years. Interesting. Yeah, but most of the work was done in, in about six months because, uh, from what I'm told, last year at Island Ops, it was the it was the loop up uh, up behind the house, and that was it. God, uh, it was a lot of fun. well. I guess I guess when people are driven. They are capable yes. of producing these kind of amazing engineering feats. Interesting. <laughs> well, that's got to inspire yes, get, you, right? It definitely. I uh, again, I, I don't want to fight a two front war, but it won't be. It won't be soon after the first real operating session down in my basement when I will start looking through catalogs for uh, G scale narrow gauge Garretts. That's for mm. sure. Mm. Yes, I'm really looking forward to heading out to your part of the world. Like I said, unfortunately, I don't have a the NMRA. Your regional NMRA website doesn't have a 
date for the regional that I'm going to be attending and speaking at. So, Jim Walsh, I know you're listening in. Please email me as you are controlling this date. I'm the kind of guy that likes to, you know, a year plus in advance take the time off work. So, Jim Walsh, I know you're listening in. Let me know what day it's <laughs> going to be occurring on, and I'll start booking travel plans associated with this, because I'm really looking forward to coming out. And Ron Kleiss, the photos of Kleiss Manor that he keeps posting, it seems like everyone in your part of the world has acreages. I don't know what's going on, but clearly, uh, you know, God seems to be making more land in New Jersey in the surrounds. That's all I have to say. Well, they just keep adding landfill. You know how it goes. Oh, I see. That's what it is. Very interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I have tried in the past visiting the Garden State uh, Regional website, you know, because uh, Mr. Vaughn and I have contemplated driving in from Long Island and going to oh, some yeah. of these events, but their website, it seems to be short on details. So yes. I would like to echo your comment to the Garden State Division. Uh, more nuts and bolts details in terms of dates and times and what will be provided in terms of clinics at your events yeah. would be very nice. I'm doing a lot of promotion for them. Interesting, Dave. So... Do you have any plans to come back to the Bay Area in the foreseeable future? Will we see you in these parts? It will be probably September. My parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, so I will let you know. Very cool. So I can't recall since you last called in. Have you given a debrief associated with... Because last time you were here, were you part of Bay Rails last time you were here? I was. That was the the last time I came out to the Bay Area. That was the MacGuffin. Right. I enjoyed myself. I'm not sure whether I gave a debrief or not. I have slept several times since then, so I yes. can't remember. <laughs> Very good. I probably, you probably did. I'm probably forgetting it in my, uh, in my allergy adult mind. But, uh, no, always <laughs> a pleasure chatting, Dave. And, uh, yeah, when you come out in September, we'll need to, what we need to do is actually get you up to Jamie Fenton's layout and also get you to, uh, Malcolm Johnson's layout so that we can get them Love talking. To do that. So why don't we use September as being an excuse? To get uh, Malcolm and Jamie. Exactly. You can be the catalyst. <laughs> I know Malcolm's listening in. I know he's taking note. And more importantly, you actually have a date associated with this. So we can actually ne- network a date in advance and we can make sure this happens. Because I think both these louts, uh, I mean, you're not particularly interested in InScale, but it's an interesting, uh, interesting to see two louts that need to borrow from each other in terms of ideas. So, well, yeah, layouts we'll are layouts. It doesn't matter about the exactly. scale. Well, what you'll enjoy, actually, in fact, something that you could probably add to Jamie Fenton's layout is um, associated with LCC, because LCC is the, I mean, it's amazing. It's a JMRI layout. You come in, you connect your mobile device, and you're controlling trains instantly. I mean, literally 30 seconds, uh, we had Jim mm-hmm. Gifford and co. controlling trains. So you'll enjoy that part, but you'll be able to give them LCC advice as well, because there's a lot of elements where you can put in signals, do a wide variety of things that LCC would make their layout. And they're taking it, I'm not sure if they already have or if they're going to, but they're taking it to a hacker convention. So getting LCC on it before they take it, uh, which may fit in with the September timeframe, would certainly be an additional extra to be useful. Add a little hacker cred. Exactly. So you mentioned <laughs> that you've got a bunch of these devices currently. How many, how many LCC devices are actually in the wild currently for people that are interested in dropping some money? I don't know. Um, I'm using Dick Bronson's Tower LCC nodes, and his uh, he has a he has a, a PowerPoint which drives the power mm-hmm. over the bus, and his uh, computer interface is the LCC buffer. And I'm interfacing it using act using wiring with uh, Duncan McCree's servo drivers. Yes, and uh, 
using Duncan's indication LEDs to send eventually messages back out over the LCC system. And the plan is, I have posted on my blog in the past pictures of my relay rack, which I developed more than 10 years ago. And uh, it needs to interface with the layout at large down in the basement, and I've built those interlockings track-wise. So the job that LCC is going to do for me is act as the remote eyes and ears of the old relay system uh, into the servos and block detection and everything else. Um, I knew I would never do any real work on LCC until I had something to do with it, and now I do. So look for the blog posts. The relay rack is really like your super brain, right? This is something that you <laughs> create a mad scientist style, and now you have a practical use for it. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. It has been hooked up to layouts in the past, and I made sure that I put the exact correct track configuration into the new layout in the basement so that I could bring it back into the fold. Very good, very good. You need a Persian cat. I think that's the extra that's necessary. <laughs> and a big leather chair. Exactly. Yeah. Every <laughs> jacket. Yeah. I used to have a Persian cat and a big leather chair, and I've got to say, they're everything they're cracked up to be and more. Anyway, <laughs> Dave Perazza, pleasure as always catching up with you. Thank you very much for calling in uh, and providing some insights. I really like this idea of a guy in what you're now illustrating is a six-month period of time, just basically... Yes busting us and building a layout that clearly requires timepieces to be brought. I mean, that that in and of itself is just so beautifully illustrative. Thank you very much for calling in, Dave. Of course. Talk to you soon. I'd like to welcome back on Mike Slater. Mike, you serve a number of purposes for Model Rail Radio, and with this show in particular, you're going to be the final caller, but also you have the opportunity to wax long and lyrically associated with any particular topic of interest. What is going on with your model railroading hobby and what would you like to talk about today? The thing that I'm currently working on is uh, just finishing up wiring on my uh, trolley modules because next weekend we have a show that will be kind of the first showing of the Northwest Traction Group with the uh, Young Guns being in the helm of things. Talk a little bit more about this. Sure. Um, There was a, uh, kind of give a little bit of a background of the Northwest Traction Modelers. It was a a modular group of uh, trolley modelers from the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. And a few years back, they decided to hang up the trolley wire and call it quits because a lot of the guys were getting up into their 70s and 80s and it was getting hard for them to set up the modules and a good buddy of mine, which I've been trying for the past uh, five months to try to get him onto the show here to talk more about uh, the trolley modeling, uh, Andy Breaker, he uh, has revived the Northwest Traction Modelers. I've uh, currently built uh, three modules, uh, a return loop module, a double track uh, straight module, and a double track crossover module so we can use the... Uh, the return loop with uh, single track modules. And then there's uh, another gentleman uh, that uh, is building a few modules actually from a, uh, there was a, I can't think of the uh, name of the layout offhand, but it was featured in Moderator Magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. When the guy took down his layout, uh, several of the scenes on the layout were converted into Northwest Traction Module 
modules and there was one module, you know, the car barn that uh, was taken off the layout and uh, several people have owned the, the module but never really finished building into a module and this uh, one individual, he's actually uh, been doing a series of YouTube videos on resurrecting this trolley barn scene off this layout and he'll have that uh, not fully operational, but enough operational to uh, use return loop on that so we can have continuous running of streetcars on our uh, setup. So when you refer to them as young guns, these are new new kids that are getting involved. I mean, you have a strong youth. I mean, the rail fanning in particular, I've never seen rail fanning done with as many kids as, as occurs in your area. Where Where are these young guns coming from? Where are these people coming from into the hobby? Well, the, uh, like, uh, Andy, uh, kind of the, the ringleader of the, the newer Northwest Traction Group, uh, he's in his, uh, uh, late 20s and, uh, he got to know quite a few of the Northwest Traction guys through Train Fest because his father is one of the, uh, people that volunteers a lot for helping with, uh, setting up the show. So he got to know a lot of the guys within the Northwest Traction modelers mm-hmm. and, uh, being that, he's kind of always had an interest in trolley modeling. Another, uh, the individual uh, that has the trolley barn scene, he grew up uh, with his father being, I believe, a member of the Illinois Railroad Museum. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of the interaction of the, the old streetcars and the urban cars. And then one of uh, the other uh, young guns, I could say, uh, he's a volunteer at the East Troy uh, Trolley Museum in East Troy, Wisconsin. Interesting. So there's uh, quite a few of us that uh, are involved in some type of a railroad museum, but, and I'm actually the oldest of, of the, the four young guns, being 41. So I'm kind of the, the old-timer in, in this new uh, uh, group, but uh, Andy's probably has the greatest experience because he's um, hung out with uh, the older uh, generation and uh, Andy's the one that taught me how to do the overhead wiring of the the trolley wire and so I've been learning a lot off of Andy. It is interesting actually the generational nature of this hobby I mean you certainly talk about it with regards to your father's influence but we have a number of folk on. I was thinking about Dave Freire because every time I record at this time my hope is that Dave Freire can call in and one of the things I really find fascinating about Dave Freire is the volume of knowledge he has in a wide variety of areas I think model railroading is one of these hobbies where, you know, generations pass on not just model railroading information, but actually information about a wide variety of different things and just incidental information as well. So it's interesting that you point out that um, one of these folk in particular has picked up a lot of important generational knowledge from previous generations. And certainly your area is interesting in the hobby because there are so many people that actually do model railroading or, you know, rail fatting. And as you say, I mean, it's bucking the trend, right? If you read NMRA publications, you hear that the hobby is dying. But actually, you find, I don't necessarily know how old Morgan is, but, you know, you find a new generation that are progressively picking up the hobby, finding it interesting. Obviously, those of us that purvey information associated with the hobby through new media play some part in this thing but yeah there's an increasing number of what might be called young guns i mean i'm slightly younger than you 
Mike and I think of myself as pathetically old currently, so let's move on from that. But, you know, there are young people that are getting involved here. And, um, yeah, it's important that, uh, as you say, certain aspects of the history and legacy and traditions are passed on. But same point, new techniques, new principles, the, the LCC, you know, new technology, these kind of things are also driving the hobby as well. So, I mean, in terms of the young guns, do they bring any of these new techniques or new insights? Or are they interested in that stuff as well? Well, one of the things that uh, uh, we're going to be doing, not, not for this show, but eventually down the road, is we are going to uh, convert over to DCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've important. decided that we're, that we're going to go with uh, North Coast Engineering as our DCC system of choice, uh, being that uh, that's a system I own, and it's uh, the one local shop that three of the four of us uh, uh, deal with, uh, deals heavily in North Coast Engineering, but Certainly. also helps out a lot. And uh, so it, uh, that's one of the things we're going to do, but we're also going to have to uh, wire the modules up in a, a way that we can flick it over to DC. So if any of the, because uh, we want to keep the older generation of the Northwest Traction modelers uh, setting up with us also. Certainly. yeah. So so we have to make sure they can bring their, their streetcars at, because we're not expecting them to convert over a, a 30, 40-year-old model to DCC. Uh, we want them to be able to partake and, and join in with us. But uh, we started start looking at some of the wiring with uh, these modules, and it would just be so much easier to eventually convert over strictly to DCC. But, uh, you know, as long as we have a, a toggle switch selection that we can flip between the two, uh, that'll keep all generations happy. Very good. Toggle switch keeping the generations happy. I think that's the name for the show, Mike Slater. You have, uh, you have named this particular recording. So in terms of the summer months, are you planning on getting out and doing some rail fanning? Is this, is this the rail fanning period for you in particular? Yeah, it's uh, actually kind of the, the start of it. Uh, I've already done, uh, one trip down to Galesburg, Illinois to help out the, in, the gentleman that owns the house that we stay at at the end of June do some yard work and uh uh over the holiday weekend uh i'm planning a uh a weekend bonsai rail painting trip uh to kansas city missouri uh my uh one buddy kind of organized the whole plan and uh i'll be taking the train out on friday he'll be flying in after work so he'll actually beat me to kansas city so he'll get the rental car and and then uh, he'll pick me up at the Amtrak depot, and we'll spend two days of rail fanning and then take the train back on uh, Monday. So I'm actually looking forward to that one, a uh, different area that I haven't been to in uh, uh, two days of traveling by train. Oh, yeah. Now, Kansas City is a hub, right? I mean, you're in a hub or area, but Kansas City is a different hub, and probably in proximity it's your closest major hub as well. So, yeah. I can't imagine what you'll actually see in Kansas City, but I imagine a large volume of stuff. Oh, yeah, there's uh, several locations that we've been kind of instructed to to head to to, to watch. And uh, uh, another friend of ours that uh, will actually be in St. Louis uh, a few days before we'll be getting into Kansas City. He's talking about now driving out to Kansas City to meet up with us for a day or two. So he'll be able to show us around a lot of spots that he's been through there several times and but uh, just uh, a lot of different uh, things, you know, probably trying to catch some of the Kansas City Southern and some of the other regional and short lines that um, 
we don't see around in our neck, neck of the woods. Cool, Mike Slater. Very cool. Well, unfortunately, my voice is failing. It's been that kind of show, but thank you very much for your assistance on the show today. It's been wonderful to, to chat with a number of people, even though I'm slightly under the weather. And uh, thank you. Once again, Mike Slater. Oh, no, not a problem. Anytime, Tom. Thank you very much for folks listening in today. It's all going to work itself out in post-production, I'm sure. It's always a pleasure, even if I'm feeling a little under the weather, to record a model rail radio, because it gives me a chance to chat not only to new callers, but also to have a chance to chat with old friends, which really is what model rail radio is about for me. It's a great opportunity to, to catch up with people that I've met in person. I think a majority of the folks that have called in today I've actually met in one way or another, know their layouts, know their spouses on occasion and these kind of things so no it's wonderful the community that model rail radio brings so for folks who uh who called in today thank you very much for folks listening in good afternoon good afternoon Thanks, Tom. Tom.